Good morning and welcome to another Free Text First Friday episode of Thy Strong Word. Every First Friday of the month, we step away from our usual study to talk about a particular topic of interest. Today's special episode features what I hope will be a provocative discussion about the changing landscape of church membership and what it means to belong to a congregation. My guest will outline the modern view that cast members as volunteers and attendees and financial contributors and contrast that with the historic notions of membership rooted in confession and authentic community. Together, we'll also discuss the future of church membership. Is it simply fading away, or will there be a return to a more traditional understanding? Just perhaps there's a third way to understand church membership, maybe one that hasn't even been considered before. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Friday, October 6th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. LHF can also provide mission speakers for your congregation. In fact, my congregation is welcoming a speaker from LHF on our Stewardship Sunday. Our focus is on the stewardship of God's Word, something the Lutheran Heritage Foundation knows all about. Again, learn more about what they can do for you at lhfmissions.org. Well, without any further ado, jumping right into our topic today, I'm pleased to welcome the Reverend Brant Hoffman. He's the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church and School in Coos Bay, Oregon. Good morning, Pastor Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you, and especially on this particular topic. Off the air, we talked just a little bit, and you said this is something that you've been considering for, gosh, a decade and a half, and I have to agree with you. I have wrestled with membership ever since I first became a pastor, in my case, and so I just, it's something that I think that we're going to all benefit from talking it out. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Also, consider you know, exactly what's changed, why have things changed, and maybe what the future holds. But I'm just happy to have you on the show to talk about it. Like I've said before, your show is titled after, if not my favorite hymn, it's up there in the top two. (laughs) Nice, wonderful. (laughs) Well, i tell you what, why don't you start us off in prayer? Don't bust out into song, but start us off into prayer, and uh, we will uh, hopefully consult some historical stuff. God's strong word, of course, uh, but then really reflect on what it means to be a member of a congregation. Brother, start our time together in prayer, please. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, you out of, uh, out of the world by your Holy Spirit have called, gathered, and enlightened the church on earth. You have done so since the day of Pentecost, and you continue to do so today, even though we as As fallen and broken sinners often fail to grasp what it means, we thank you that by your divine revelation and by your work on the cross and your resurrection on the third day, you have given us a place in your house and in your church. We pray that you would bless this time together on this wonderful radio program and you would help us to be a light of Christ to the world. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, it's a first Friday free text episode, and so I, you know, normally I would just jump into the scriptures, but we're going to do something a little different. First, I'm just going to hand it over to you. Talk to us about, I guess, the the the, the status of the controversy. What what's the problem? What what does it mean to be a church member? I mean, why are we even talking about this? Well, I think as a kid who kind of grew up in the uh, '70s and kind of the '80s, uh, there was. This has interested me even before I was a Christian. And so there was always this kind of push to get me to like, you should, you should join my church. You should get saved and join my church. And, uh, there was just always this kind of cry out for what a member of this church is. And, um, a little bit, uh, it just seemed a little bit uh, elitist maybe to me or something like that. And then when I got involved with uh, like Masonic organizations like Dumoulay and other things, I found that sometimes membership has a sense of uh, secrecy and, and some sort of mystery. And, and so I just really had some strange notions. And I, even as I became a Christian, uh, joining the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, as I was made a member there, it was unceremonious, and it seemed to be like, well, I just showed up and kept coming, and now eventually he's just t- uh, taking communion, and then I would be, uh, I would be, t- or then eventually I got baptized there, you know, things like that. And so as I just kind of moved along, these are always a question that I had, and even as I, I joined the Missouri Synod in 1994 in Salem. Oregon, the idea of membership seemed to be have a, a larger place there where we were, where we were welcomed with in front of the congregation, and then I don't know, I was kind of thrown into uh, teaching Sunday school, and I would argue that maybe I wasn't prepared, and so my ideas of membership were really kind of mysterious to me, and even as I moved on to uh, seminary, I started to hear people talk about uh, church membership in ways that I had never understood before as meaning for uh, for us, I was taught by, you know, men like Dr. Feuerhahn, for example, um, that um, church membership has to do with um, confession and it has to do with um, a life of a baptized person. And he taught a class you know, called the democratization of American Christianity based on a book of the same title. And he kind of showed us um, how membership in churches uh, went from being like a body, as St. Paul would describe it, and, and parts of a body that all serve the same function, but in different ways into being more of a club environment and he argued, you know, even in America was the foundation of this. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, it, and because when you have a country of religious freedom, uh, he said that there, there became kind of a, a, a I'll say a, a crisis in authority to say that, well, why is your opinion any better than mine? And, and of course we would argue because this person is more learned or something, but, um, so America started to begin creating denominations that just became kind of lots of 
clubs confessionally it started off as the, each club was confessional of their own confession but as it moved along and as many of those confessions i will argue theologically broke down they started to create sort of a, a general understanding of church unity and being a part of that and billy graham was probably in the modern history one of the biggest uh pushers of saying, you know, it doesn't matter where you go to church, as long as you go to church, you know, and just to be there and make that church great. And, you know, and so people started to really change their ideas. And, and, and in the modern context of a church member, and this is comes from me asking people like, what does it mean to be a member of a church? And they'll say, well, they always want you to volunteer for stuff. You know, they're always asking for volunteers. So, okay. Um, they always tell you to come to church. Okay. So a loose community, but in our, in our context in America, I always hear, Hey, you don't have to be a, a, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And so there's like this dichotomy of, well, that, well, you know, am I being authentic? Do I have to go to church kind of thing like that? Like it's forced on them. Uh, then you have the church growth movement that saw membership only in terms of, well, look, we have 300 members, so obviously our church is successful. <laughs> and and then you have people that say, well, we need to get more members in order to, you know, uh, fill those coffers and, you know, pay our bills. So, and, I'm, and I, I, I heard that once many years ago, and I was just disgusted by that. And then, then there's this move of... Uh, um, well, at least it was brought into my attention of this seeker movement of people who are sort of looking for a place where they can find morality, social justice, spiritual spirituality seekers, which is a real mod- term of modernity. And then you have like, then you have kind of, I would argue, the more traditional members in America, which are like the cultural denominationalists. Like I went to a seminary with guys that like they're third or fourth generation uh, seminarians. But I also went to a church with a lot of people that like I went to church here, my dad, my granddad, my great dad. So they're there out of history. And so, and, and as I've moved along, uh, like, like when I first went to Alaska, you know, I'm uh, sp- already, I'd already spent a long time there, but when I first got called to Alaska, I already knew that one thing that's important is community, right? So I knew that was going to be a big focus in determining what a member is, is, is coming to find community. And then, uh, and then it would be something. And then, but it always kind of, and I have to admit, I fell into this myself. I always just kind of fell into like, well, we need volunteers to fix this. And, and I, gee, don't miss church. <laughs> How many people are coming to church? But there was always this sort of emptiness in it and um, of saying that I, I, this, there's got to be more than this. I mean, I, I proclaim the word of God and, and I, I preach the full counsel of God and, and that is the primary thing. But there's something missing in the life of people. And I've always seen it that way. Like they leave church and then they say, well, I'm going to come back next Sunday to recharge my batteries. And then it's like, why are your batteries running out? <laughs> you right. know, stuff like that. And so it's because the this life of a baptized Christian was sort of starting and stopping in uh, uh, in the sanctuary. And uh, 
and I felt like, well, even even like the midweek services, they're a good idea, and it creates a little community. One of the churches in Anchorage started calling it Why Not Wednesdays uh, because they said, well, why don't why don't we do this more? And the church said, well, why not Wednesdays? Because we're already doing it. And they laughingly started calling it Why Not Wednesdays all year. And so even my congregation started having church during the summer because of all the fishermen and everything uh, and Wednesdays because they would be there. And, you know, just kind of trying to create uh, worship opportunities and fellowship opportunities. And But fast forward, I mean, I'm not kidding, all the way, like this whole time I've been in, in Coos Bay, it's been a different kind of community than Alaska because we have a school. And so now I'm, I have parents who are generally, you know, identify as Christians and they send their kids here. Some of them aren't. They're like Hindus and things like that, but they'll send their kids here. And it's interesting because uh, they say, well, I want my kids to have a good moral upbringing. And they believe that this church, this has been doing this in the community for 30 years. So there, this is a good place for that. And, but yet I always saw, well, the parents are never involved in any of this. And, uh, it seems like, I don't, I don't know how they would know if their kids were moral. or not. <laughs> and so I, I've always tried to bring the kids in. Like when I teach my religion class, it, I try to teach like the, the catechism. And I try to teach these things that, uh, have a, that come with it a sense of identity in our our fields and baptism being primary and you know this kind of stuff and um because I, I there's people that are always finding things to find a community right like heck I'll admit it and I'm embarrassing embarrassing myself because I'm Uh-oh. admitting it on a place that is widely listened to but my kids got me, uh, or it was, it was sort of a condition. They asked me if they could play the game called Fortnite. And it is a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a first person kind of shooter game. And I grew up on video games. I'm like, uh, you better let me do it. And I, and I played it for a little bit and I could tell, you know, I go, here's what I like. I like that. It's kind of cartoony and kind of fun. Here's what I don't like. Uh, you got people that are kind of strangers that can talk to you. So I had these kind of set rules like, hey, no, your mic is off. You know, you don't talk to them and, you know, stuff like that. And you play with me. But as they've grown older, I mean, they're <laughs> one's graduated, one's in upper high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found out, though, was there was a sense of community in there. And... um like they, they know me. I'm, I'm, I was there whenever they asked me, well, who are you? And I, I would say, well, I'm a 52 year old pastor. And they're like, really? You're not even going to try and lie about it and tell me you're 25? Nope. <laughs> I'm just going to play it straight with you. I'm a 52 year old pastor. I'm a Gen Xer. And, uh, and I, I like video games. And, you know, and all of a sudden there's all these people that just want to hang out because I'm a pastor and ask me all these questions. And they're like in their teens and 20s and 30s. Mm. And so I kind of got this kind of funny rep that, you know, oh, well, it's pastor. So he talked to him. And, and um, so even I spent time being asked, will you come and talk to this person? Sure. And we're sitting there in one of these kind of avatar rooms. <laughs> You're talking and, and he has asked me all these questions. And I found out there was another person sitting there the whole time just listening. 
So I realize that people are seeking community in so many different ways and they're finding it, but what are they finding, you know? And so I try to, um, I try to say, well, hasn't the church ever been this way? And it has, it has, it has been a place of centrality of, of worship life, of, um, a place of healing, a place of solace, a place of comfort and not just a place of whatever is being said today you know it has it had a sense of consistency and so when when i started kind of researching it uh it, i see that historically yes the church was made up of people uh and when when we mean members you know not using the club membership kind of mentality that many have today but members of a body meant that they were people who um, they confessed the faith together. They were boldly confessing the faith that doctrine indeed does matter. And um, a sense of community means these are people who confess this faith and I, I will do anything to ensure that this community thrives because it's bringing Jesus with it. And so along with confession and community, you now have a community who are, are, are focused on being bringers of good. And, um, and, and so, I mean, this is why all these scientific discoveries were made by Christians and everything like that, because they had this, this hunger for, for knowledge and they had a place of community where they could do it. And so you see emerging out of Christian communities, civilization and, you know, even, um, you know, even so many of the pagans that were that were near the um, uh, the Colo- uh, no the uh, it wasn't the Ephesians it was the Thessalonians the pagan cultures near the Thessalonians were saying they marveled at their community they marveled at the things they accomplished in the name of their their God and and they would they would you know, Paul is telling him, yeah, these people are marveling at you and, and they don't know your God. They just know those people over there are onto something. And, um, and so this, the sense of how does God create, well, he creates, you know, completely. And so it just doesn't mean that we have a good confession. It means with our confession, we have a life that, um, is, is amplified by that. And, and so, community and confession is is the the is the historic way of being a member but it's not simple you know that people would be studying for many many you know sometimes years just to be considered added into this community and um it was a commitment you know and so nowadays it's like a few weeks here and there and you know you're in and as I heard one pastor say it at our um, pastor's conference, oh, and here's your envelopes. Oh, and, right. and and I just cringed. And well, and, and, I, well I was going to say, I just want to I, I jump in on that because I, I've always been concerned. When we do the welcoming of members, it's always extending the right hand of fellowship. Mm-hmm. And I've also kind of joked that and we, we tend to then with our left hand give them their envelopes. Yeah. And, um. and you know, I... <laughs> Actually, I want to I want to piggyback on a couple of things that you said so far. So taking us back to present day, you know, so I'm from the South and I didn't grow up Lutheran. So I had to take the classes in order to become a member of 
the LCMS church where I was going. This was in college. And so uh, I went to the classes, but it took, I think, a year or so before there were any classes to even take. So there's this sort of waiting for there to be classes and then take the classes. And because this was a smaller congregation and there weren't a whole lot of new members, it was pretty much me and my wife and a couple of members who politely joined the class to sort of fill the pews. And as much as I respect the pastor who brought me into the church, um, he'll even, I think, would say that it's kind of frustrating because the other members sort of, they dominated the time with their own kind of questions. And so I was very much just a sort of a spectator of it all. But as I've looked at it throughout the years, I think I'm not a repristinationist. I'm not someone who says, well, we need to do everything the way they did it you know, in the first century or the 10th century or the 15th century uh, or 16th for that matter. But, but what I would say is at what point did – I should say I would ask – at what point did membership become about having your name on a roll – being put in the book, put in the safe, you know, uh, those things certainly weren't going on for hundreds, if not the first thousand years, I would assume, right? We don't, we don't think of St. Paul being very concerned about making sure that the membership records are up to date. It's all about just living the faith and being in the midst of the faith. And, and I realize that catechesis, of course, comes around as a, a, a need to vet people, to teach people, but also to vet those who might come in to harm the church. And I, I think that's the origins of sort of some of the understandings of membership. But I have to admit that there have been times when, you know, if I look at my roles and I see, you know, 800 people on the roles, but we have 180 in church, you know, what am I to think? Sometimes right. I think, well, I wish there would just be a small localized fire that would just burn up all the records and then whoever showed up was a member. Yeah. But, so, so you know, and that's, of course, out of frustration for just seeing this, like, what's the point of the paperwork? You know, does that make a member? And I think that's at the heart of our discussion, too. Well, that is a really good point, because um, the truth be told, the actually the roles has a very ancient root to it. Um, oh, please tell me. There was uh, and and I'm I'm going to. I'm going to fudge on the date because I know it's around the fourth century um, or, or perhaps it was the third or fourth century. Um, they had found that one of the rights of welcoming was for a, a person to actually sign their name in a book that was on there that they kept the rolls, the scrolls there. Right. And the thing about that is, is you're, when you made a confession of that, if the pagan ruler of the region came by and got a hold of that, they could find out. I mean, your neck is on the line. Who is a part of this and not a part of worshiping them? And so there's this sort of ancient connection to the roles. And, um, but again, it was a dangerous, and I, I would have to research it, but I, I'm pretty sure it's no later than the third. It might have been sooner, but it was um, before really, you know, um, it was before really Constantinople, you know, uh, Constantine and stuff like that. But um, because to say that your name were on this role is to say that I am a deviant from society, the societal norms in regions where um, paganism or universalism, like the Roman universalism, as long as you didn't, 
as long as you didn't like anybody more than Caesar. <laughs> but um, they were cool with that. Um, but even the early Christians back then were saying, well, I do like somebody a lot more than Caesar. I respect your vocation, but you are so not number one. And so there's this sense of um, uh, signing their names. In, and um, there's a great book that was published. Um, let's see, it was, it was in the 80s. And um, it was called um, Welcome to Christ, a Lutheran Introduction to the Catechumenate. And um, it was, uh, it was uh, a really great uh, background story of how people became um, a part of the church and, and membership in terms of catechumenate. And, um, and so there's this, and, I, and I've kind of followed this model. Uh, it's, well, it's not really a model. I mean, it's kind of a pattern um, since I started uh, investigating this because you want it to be a process and like they would they will say like it comes in these stages there was a people who and we get these a lot in oregon because it's not a super churched state um they're people of inquiry there's there it's kind of a um an open-minded open-ended period where they just kind of float around they're they're in the back and they're just kind of watching and leave them alone, say hello, be nice, um, <laughs> welcome, you know, and, you know, explain to them, you know, like before church starts, I say, well, um, just so you know, I mean, we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And if you have not been prepared in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod to receive communion, the Lord's Supper, I ask you to um, wait and hold off and talk to me after church because I would like to give it to you, but I need to talk to you first. And um, and so most people, instead of just having a blurb in the bulletin, I look at people in the eyes, you know, and and so and they'll sit there and then they'll come and talk to me. And one guy is going on; he's been floating around in the back since before I came here, and <laughs> he's still just kind of hung up on the Lord's Supper. So. I'll, I let him go and I bug him every now and then. But, you know, but most people um, that have come in have said, hey, you know what? I really appreciate kind of the consistency and the straightforwardness. And um, I'd like to learn more. And I'm like, great, you know. Right. And so we start to talk to them about, well, what do you want to learn more about? And and so it's just kind of because we're a school, so we should be able to teach and um and so it's a, it's kind of a process because a lot of these people are parents or their kids and that are wanting to come to church. And, you know, I even had a little girl, her, uh, she came to church here this last Sunday, she's eight. And, um, she, her, her dad literally like dropped her off and she walked in and he's like, you going to be okay? Of course, this is Christ Lutheran. I know it like the back of my hand. I mean, she goes to public school right now. And she was just missing, she was missing church. So she went in there, hey, she hooked up with some people that knows her and she sits down, you know. And so even though her parents are not um, really into this, she has said, look, this is important to me. And um, so she, there she is. And, um, and so I start to try to welcome people into the life of the church instead of just saying, well, I want your name on here so I can welcome you as a member. <laughs> You know, and sure. and and I try to explain that you know we're um we're kind of weird. Don't I'm not gonna lie. 
um, Lutherans for American culture are kind of strange because we're kind of anti we're what you think that we are. We just aren't. And, and I'm going to surprise you because like the evangelical thing is really what's big here. And so they come in here and they're expecting certain things. And they're like, well, how come we don't do that? And I go, I don't know, because that's weird. And um, and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's weird. And it's modern and we don't kind of do that. <laughs> so well, like, I'm, I'm going to interject because we're getting close to the break. But I, w- I want to say I think you're right about the um, the scro- uh, the roles being close to the third century. Uh, Hippolytus of Rome is typically where we source our like three year catechumenate from. Mm-hmm. This idea that three years and then you have this extended period of fasting before baptism, which, of course, begins on Easter Saturday and that sort of thing. But um, at the same time, you know, there are a lot of modern influences on people's perspective of joining not just churches, but anything that I want to talk about when we get back from the break, too. So sorry to interrupt, but we will have to take a break. So, folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Hoffman and I will pick up where we left off. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boot. With me today is the Reverend Brant Hoffman, pastor of Christ Lutheran Church and School in Coos Bay, Oregon, and we're talking about membership. Before we get back to the discussion, though, dear saints, I just want to thank you for taking the time to be uh, with us this morning as we talk about this very important issue. Uh, if you have any questions about the show or you want to maybe add something to the conversation, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook. Well, back to the discussion. So, yeah, just a couple of things. You know, uh, I, I hear, you know, your story of how you as a pastor are trying to embrace some of the more ancient means of bringing people into the church by, I guess, letting there be. Uh, less pressure to join, less pressure to just, you know, we got to, you have to join so that we can put you on the roll so we can put you in that book that we keep in the fireproof safe that Jesus <laughs> is not going to look at when he comes back. And we, and of course, we want to hand you those, uh, those offering envelopes, right? But, <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned at the very beginning, uh, uh, Billy Graham, and I can't, I can't not mention that being from the South. Um, one of the things that Billy Graham was often praised for was that he wasn't interested necessarily in building up the church of Billy Graham, but rather would point people to find a biblical church where they could be a member. However, at the same time, I grew up with this understanding of, oh, it doesn't matter where you go, only that you go somewhere. And you put Billy Graham and connected that to that, and I, I don't disagree, but it, but it is something that I think is uniquely um, I shouldn't say uniquely, pardon me. It's distinctly American in the sense that 
we don't want to be told what to do. We want to be able to make all of our own decisions and we don't want to put ourselves under the authority of anybody. And that's becoming more and more the case for people today. There are some studies out there I'm sure you're aware of. Um, One, uh, a report by the American Enterprise Institute that found that Americans' participation in civic, religious, even social groups has declined significantly over the past decades. So it is not just churches that are having difficulty finding people to join, but it's uh, uh, civic groups and, and other types of groups that you mentioned things like video games and, and online and social media, and people are seeking out community there. But some of the factors that contribute to this trend, according to these particular researchers, is that rise of individualism and consumerism, um, the, the increase of social mobility. Uh, we know – I think you and I both know someone who <laughs> would blame car culture for a lot of it. The expansion of technology and media and those sorts of things. There, there are so many options for entertainment. There, there are less dis, less um, there are less times of leisure. There's more distractions. There's less isolation. So there's not people seeking out community. And then, of course, we have to confront the reality that people have uh, lost their trust and confidence in institutions and leaders, and sometimes for some very good reasons. And so, one of the things that I observe is that we have people come in, and this is especially true of millennials, not to pick on millennials, but we've seen that those born between 81 and 96, the uh, Pew Research Center has found, that they simply don't join churches, but they also don't join labor unions or professional associations or fraternal groups or even sports clubs. And so the question is why? Why have I had people come to my church and say, not the one I currently serve, but they come to my church and they say, well, we're happy coming, but we don't want to join. They may even say, we seek to have the Lord's Supper and we seek to be in fellowship with all of you, but we don't want to officially join. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the situation that really started to prompt in my head, what is the point of membership? And, and when I asked you, you know, when did they start keeping roles, one thing I didn't think of that completely undoes my idea is I suppose even in Acts, they talk about people being added to the number and they're having elections and recording who's deacons and who isn't. And so, so I suppose that this has been happening in one way or another for a long time. But then the real question is today, you know, are we treating membership in such a way that the people just don't want to do it anymore? And, and what would you say about those people who want to come to church but still don't want to join? <laughs> well, I, I get those. Um and I, I, I sort of told you a story, you know, about the guy who's been here for over longer than me. Oh, right. And um, and but there's there's this idea, and I think it comes from um the modern view of membership. If I go in there, all they're going to want me to do is because I'm a plumber, they're going to want me to do this, and they're going to bug me about coming to church, and and you know they're going to like bug me about how much should I give, like. One of the guys that I met in the social media, uh, I was talking to him because he was he was going to this what what I'm going to call like a a one of those kind of big box big I call it a like a big box church um, like there's just like so huge it's one of these kind of one church not really denomination but it's just by itself and they're in like Georgia and um, and it has and he's like it's he's like, you go in there and I don't think I've ever met the pastor. 
or um wow. and he says but you know they don't pass a bowl around you know and and you know and he's just but he's just telling me look man i don't i don't know what i'm doing here like his fiance is like telling him well you got to go to church and and he's like why and she's like i don't know <laughs> and um and so he's he's asking me these questions and i said look I am not an expert on what you call a big box church. I'm just guessing it's like Costco or whatever, you know, and, and, and I, and it's, it's his term. And, and so I said, well, um, I said, what, what are you seeking? I mean, when you go to church, he goes, I want to know God. And I'm going, okay, okay. I like, I like that. And, um, so he said, where do you, you know, I like how you're always talking the way that you talk and everything. And and nobody here talks like that. I said, well, you're probably sticking to one sort of stripe. I said, um, let me look. I said, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know of any pastors of my denomination in Georgia at all. So I had to look it up on the LCMS finder. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, <laughs> like, sure. Good resource. <laughs> I'm going, um, uh, well, I don't know where you are because I'm over here embarrassed that my Georgia geography is no good. And I said, there's one in Atlanta. And he's like, Atlanta, that's like an hour away. And I'm like, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so I start looking around and I start looking around. And I'm just not finding anything. And I'm talking to a friend of mine who's actually a past- an, a Lutheran pastor in an ELS church. He's like, well, you arrogant dodo, why don't you look for an ELS church? And uh, I said, uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, and uh, so I kind of looked around and I did find one. And it was really close to him. And uh, I actually called the pastor and talked to him. And we had a lot of things in common. And, you know, we had the we had the the Lutheran stare down that you have in our interdenominational confessional churches. But, um, you know, it's kind of testing each other out for sure, Lutheran sure. orthodoxy. And it turned out they're like, OK, you're cool. <laughs> so. And I started telling him about this guy and he's like, wow, that is not an uncommon thing. And he goes, and you, you got a live one. And I'm like, I got a live one. And um, I said, I'm going to send him your way. I said, because your church is the only one around there that I see that is preaching law and gospel and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so, so now he's, he's like, now he's kind of scared because he's saying, well, you've now hooked me up with this church and, and, um, and uh, he says, it's going to be so much different. Like, do they pass a bowl around? I, I, I don't know if it's a bowl. I, I do know that people <laughs> do support the ministry using finances or, you know, and I said, don't be so scared of that. And he's like, well, what if I don't have any money? I go, well, that sounds like you solved your own problem. Then I was going to say that makes the decision pretty easy. Yeah, there's right? nothing for you to go there. And, um, and so he's like, so they're not going to, they're not going to like come at me on that. And I'm like, no, who hurt you, man? <laughs> and, well, and you know, so, not to speak for him, but there are churches out there that actually uh, these big box churches, if I could borrow the phrase, that will run credit reports on their members. I mean, they really do make it about what can you do for us? Yeah. And I know that your emphasis, as is mine and at least most LCMS guys I've ever met, the emphasis, of course, is on the divine service. What, yeah. you know, being a member of this, well, I should say, attending this congregation, receiving God's gifts is what God can do for you and wants to do for you. But then, of course, that still leaves the question on the table. Why join? Why, you know, if I agree with you and if I publicly affirm that I'm with you, is that enough? Do I have to be 
you know, is that when you write my name down? I, I just think that this, this idea that millennials especially, but even Zoomers, and they're just not joining anything. Um, so it's this individualism that I think is, is what is at the heart of the issue. But then, of course, the question is why? Why are they not wanting to be a part of it? And to say, well, they're just expecting that they'll have to give money or they're expecting they'll have to volunteer. I think I would have a lot of listeners out here saying, well, isn't that what we should be doing as members? Right. But that, that I think that's where the catechumenate kind of comes in. It's uh, instead of it being like, well, we should assume this, what, what the, the historical Lutheran catechumenate is, is to say, and oh, by the way, here's an interesting little, little fact, you know, in Luther's day, you know, we would, it's not hard to trace that the majority of those coming into the church were babies, you know, and so naturally his catechism reflects on a, an entire born into life of a Christian. But in the United States and in Oregon, you have as more adults that, I mean, I deal with more adults that are looking for Christ um, than anything is people that I'm dealing with that are, that they come in here and they sit in church, they listen to my sermon, they, you know, they kind of zip out or they might stay for a coffee, something like that. But then they're saying, okay, um, this is something I haven't heard before. And, and so I start to realize that as Lutherans, our emphasis, our emphasis needs to be this. We need to lose the, I mean, we need membership. It's a good thing, but we need to lose this idea of desperation. Like somebody comes in and they're like, oh my gosh, everybody straighten your ties, right. you know, fresh meat. And, yeah. And don't come off like that. The fact of the matter is, is our confession of faith is one that offers a great deal. And it's something that we should um, be, be ready to teach and to say that, well, when you're a Lutheran, our history is not only just con is not only confession and community, but we are people who who build hospitals. We are people who have, you know, like these pro-life um, things to where we're bringing hope to people who find themselves in cases of desperation for people who actually can get out in the community and feel like you're making a difference. Or if you're an introvert, we have we have ideas of people who are planners people who can help in the behind the curtains. It's not just an extrovert church, which seems to be so attractive to people, but um, we have a, there's a place for everybody. It's almost like we're not just an eye. We're not just an ear. We're an entire body. And it looks like this diverse group of people that are all serving Christ. And for us, a membership is this entire picture to say that, you know, we each according to our gifts, but, each according to the same measure of the Holy Spirit that we're given for faith, you know. And so there's there's this giant picture that comes about and it takes time and maturity. Um, I think my, uh, I know I'm going to embarrass him if he listens to this. He may not, but um, uh, my son is one of those kind of kids that um, through his confirmation process, like my, the last year of confirmation I mean, in my church, I start with first communion when they're very young and or when they're ready, depends on the age. And then I have a year of study in just the catechism. Then I have a year of study in um, Meyer's book on interpreting the scriptures. 
and then they write a two-chapter Bible study on some book in the Bible where they point out the sacramental natures of this and all this kind of stuff. And then we teach it in our Bible study. So they have this sense of understanding this larger picture. Well, my son, who really got into that, he's the guy who brings his friends to church that are like, you know, the, I want you to know Jesus. I want, and then it was so interesting because last Sunday, he wasn't even here yet. And his friend showed up with two other friends that um, he thought should be there. And I go, they go, where's, where's your son? And I go, he's at home. I live across the street. You guys can go knock on the window if you want to bring him. <laughs> so, you know, and, and they all just went over there and got him. And it was just a real happy thing. And he came over and, uh, um, you know, and, but these are people and they're all just kind of inquiring because they're all Gen Z kids, you know, and they're all, they're all just kind of inquiring. And, and, uh, you know, my son has been sort of a, a focal point for them in their seeking because they all want community. And so, um, and they're trying to, and I'm, and I try to show them that community centered on Christ is the greatest one of all. And, and it'll take me many years to prove it to you, but I will, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and so it's, it's a life that you're asking them or that they're being called into. And so that's why the stages of catechumenate are so helpful because instead of just tossing him in there and going, well, you should volunteer because you joined you know, or something like that. Well, what these people have done is they've been brought in to see, well, historically, the church has been an agent for good and um, for good in your community, for good in your family, for good in social, in, in government. You know, Kretsch has a book on that and of Luther's positive reforms in government. And even though it wasn't his, his focus, it was something that just came out of it. And so... um so you see a lot of this stuff and to say that what you're doing is you're bringing them into an understanding of their baptismal living. And, um, instead of it being like, do I have to go to church? What's the bare minimum? Well, why don't we stop thinking about what the bare minimum is and start thinking about who am I as a baptized child of Christ? And then membership starts to look like, um, really being a part of a body and not just a, a, a volunteer attender who's a number financial generator. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, we talked about um oh gosh, his name escaped me. Oh my goodness. Well, I'll I'll shift gears and I'll come back to that. But one of the things I've noticed as you brought up a couple times that is when someone joins, when someone joins, it's like, okay, now we have new people. And if we were just starting over from scratch, it sounds like a return to some of these more historical ways would be pretty straightforward. But we currently have people in our congregation, many of them who have served diligently for years, who see new members as their opportunity to finally get out of that temporary position that they've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. And so this focus on being a member means that you're kind of a junior church worker is something that's often concerned me. You know, I, I, not, I didn't buy into the simple church movement, but I like the concept that there's a lot of superfluous things that we're doing in church that's just not in our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And we do so much to keep the organization going very much in the in the way of a club that those people who are there, they put so much focus and emphasis on maintaining the institution that they don't have as much time for their own personal discipleship. And they're always looking to replace themselves with new people. 
So I think some of that desperation isn't just from the fear of declining membership, which I do believe some of it is, but some of it's just simply from, I want a break. But my, my point of view is maybe we're working our people too hard. Well, again, when we start to wonder, like, uh, I think working them too hard can be if it's just maintaining a, an organization. Uh, I, I think they burn out in that sense if they, they're saying, well, I don't know if the, what the purpose of this is. It's like an endless cycle of something. Um, and I've argued in the past with our councils, if you want somebody to replace you, well, who have you mentored into that? Right. They can't just, well, I didn't, I didn't get a mentor. And I go, how did you like that? You didn't well, like I, it. And I'm sorry to interject, <laughs> but what you said is so true. It's, and we get this too, even as, so I have a very big uh, emphasis. My doctoral emphasis was on catechesis. So I have a very large interest in just finding new ways to help parents raise their children in the faith. And, and that's one of the biggest things, the biggest pushbacks I get is, well, that's not the way I had to do it. Mm-hmm. Not even that's not the way we did it, and I think it's the best way, and I want to do it with my child. It's always, well, if I had to do X, Y, and Z, why? it's very selfish. Why don't they have to do X, Y, and Z? So I like your response. It's like, well, when you weren't mentored into that, how did that feel? Or when they twisted your arm to be on there, and they said it would just last a year, and that was 18 years ago, how did, how did that feel? I think that's a good approach. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like, it's, and people like that. It's really common sense, and they think that it's somehow church doctrine to spring a church council position on you because you missed a meeting, you know? And, and so when, when somebody is going to be going into a, a new position in the church, first of all, you know, it's just something you want to do. And, um, and to say, well, if you're in there, well, then they're like, how would I know how to do it? And I say, well, the person who's in there needs to really spend time with you and mentor you into this. Don't just hand you all the three ring binders and leave, but, you know, actually sit there and sit at the meetings with them, talk to them, see how things are done. And don't be afraid to say, well, I want to make some, I want to make some suggestions and, you know, and because if we improve this, um, again, Sardis starts to sound like community if if this is this kind of community catechesis is happening, it's just you know it's to say, well, this is a person that they really brought me into the church, and I, and they did so by by being my friend, by being a mentor, by being uh, not just the pastor, but some of these um, people in the church, like in my church, there's people here who just dearly love to share with people um who are new and help bring them and be a part of it and like whenever we have a confirmation um i i invite the people to say come and talk to these kids tell them about your confirmation day and don't just tell them well i didn't i had to stand in front of the congregation and do this right tell them that you learned something and that you're uh you've improved your knowledge and 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 uh not just because I don't do that um, you know, personal examination uh, in front of everybody. Um, and I, one time I was asked why I go, because I think they know more <laughs> than the general people sure. here. And um, I go, I could put them to the test. And, um, and I said, they could do it. And they do do this in front of me. And then they, 
they deliver a study of the Bible that shows a, the Trinitarian nature of God, the sacramental aspects, the life of the Christian in each of the chapters. Like my son's study on Romans 1 and 2, we're going to start studying it this Sunday. And he's preparing for confirmation, and the elders do a review on this and things like that. So um, so he, he, you don't just have to memorize a few things. You have to show me that you know how to put two and two together. And, you know, it's not a study that I would write. It's more remedial, but it does show that they're really expressing some solid scriptural interest and understanding because I choose the books and I go, okay, here's your two chapters. Go ask questions, you know, if you have any. And so they will and they'll start putting, I go, I want to see your outline first. And um, I realized in some schools they don't teach stuff like that. So I had to teach them outlines. So shifting gears as we come toward the end of the program, I uh, have a quick question. So as we look to the future, how do you see membership changing in the short term over the next, say, five, ten years? Not necessarily what you hope happens, but what do you think it will look like? How do you think the culture might – I know you're just speculating. But then, of course, add in what you think would be a great start you know, just like our conversation is really just scratching the surface of a pretty important issue that I hope people are going to be talking about. Uh, how do you see the start of repairing membership, making it more meaningful? Well, I kind of was thinking on the terms of two pathways, but I also think that it might be sort of one pathway in two stages. I mean, currently, the way that things are going, it's a very postmodern in uh, modernist views on memberships, as we kind of talked about ad nauseum. And I think that's going to actually dissipate. I mean, I think there's going to be, it's, you know, for people saying there's a crisis in church membership, well, I think there's going to be uh, even more so. It's going to get a lot worse. And I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, for the lack of a better term, feral Christians, you know, that are are sort of lost and out there. And my belief is that the church has a watershed moment to say, look, it's time we start reasserting ourselves as the church, as the focal point of a person's life, as a place where uh, they can find not only safety, but they can find um, a place of, of being catechized into um, even a life of boldness and going out and doing good. So it can be a place for, you know, licking your wounds and healing and also a place for um, going out into the world and doing good in spite of all the evil that surrounds us. And to prove that the church still, because it's Christ's church and the gates of hell will not, will not stand against it. It will not, it's, there will be nothing that can destroy the church because it's Christ's. But how will the church manifest? And my belief is, and as a Lutheran, I'm not just being brand loyal here. I'm I'm saying that our confession of faith and our history makes us a prime candidate to be the kind of people who say, "Well, yes, I do know what you're talking about. I do know what you're needing, and I and I we have it. And it's time for us to start not trying to emulate other people, but to reassert who we are as not. Lutherans are a confession of faith. In there, it's funny because we're not like Protestants. We're saying, "No, this is how the church is, and this is what it's done. That's our whole history." And we have this unprecedented time again 
to uh, reassert that the church has had the answers. And, um, and so for everything that seems to be going feral, we have a place of saying that we can be the focal membership um, to say that to be a member of our church is to be a member of the body of Christ, the one holy Christian and apostolic church, to be um, something that is not just a, a mystery to people, but is something that they would say, look, like the the people next to the Thessalonians, I mean, uh, yeah, the Thessalonians, hey, look what's going on over there. There's amazing stuff going on there with those people who love God, you know? And so that's, that's what I think the future needs to be. But I think it's, I think it's a possibility that it'll get there, but it's not going to, it's going to come through a hard road of, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Mm, Indeed, indeed. Well, there are a lot of challenges out there, challenges with the way that people, uh, you know, understand community, challenges, of course, with the attacks that the world consistently is uh, uh, waging against the church and our faith, and of course, just the differing moods. I I do think that the the younger generations are going to be key into changing that dynamic, redefining what it means to be a member of a church away from – well, you have to come and it's like a co-op grocery store and you got to put in a bunch of work. While we certainly need people to contribute to the life of the church, the church is ultimately here for God's uh, gifts to be served to them. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. But like in, like I'm saying in Oregon, the uh, the adults are going to be really a big deal because they're the ones that I'm starting to see that are going, ah, oh, man, I've been trying to do this and I think I think I got sold on a on a bad bill of goods here, <laughs> and they're saying so. They'll come in there and go, "Well, let me give you a chance." And I'm going, "All right, but you better hold on. This is really next level stuff in here." And the members are like, "What? What are you talking about?" Because they're really used to it. I'm like, "But these people that are like, I'm like this is next level. If you want to come and worship here, get ready. Hold on to your. You know, we'll give you the whole pew, but you'll only need the edge." And, uh, and, and they're Sunday, like, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like going, really? And then yeah. I'm saying, well, listen to what we say and think about it. Look at our hymnal. Look at the liturgy. Look at what we're saying. Imagine that this is your life. And they're just going, wow. Okay. It's, and so that's, that's how it goes into it is I'm saying that we're sitting here on this rich, rich, um, tradition, this rich history and this rich proclamation of the, the Jesus Christ, you know, the way, the truth, and the life, right? And so we have this, and these adults are starting to go, huh, well, and that's, so they need to be brought into this, and as well as these, these young people that can be catechized into it, but, you know, these strong leaders are the ones that have to bring them into it, and it takes more than a pastor, you know, and mm-hmm. so there's, there's this whole life and uh, I'm so I'm so proud to be a part of it and humbled to be a part of that life. Well, part of what I hear you saying too is that the church is and really should be countercultural to the to the society. And so many churches have tried their darndest to be just like society, to to mimic society, to mimic the things that attract people for entertainment. But no one's coming to church for the rock concerts. No one's coming to church for the entertainment. They're coming to church, if they're at all, because they're being drawn there by Christ. So we might as well give them Christ and yeah. be proud that we are countercultural. And that sounds like that's what you're what you're doing there. You're right. You're right. It is. It's um, 
we can't out rock rock stars. Right. Exactly. We can't, you know, we can't out, out the secular, the secular people and God help us if we ever do. And, and so there's, yeah, you're, you're totally right. That's just the way to think about it is to say, well, we're going to, we're going to skip trying to be like the world. And we're going to go back to our, our mother, which is the church who has, who has proclaimed our father who art in heaven. And so uh, it's, it's absolutely the, it's absolutely the answer. And um, we just have to be bold enough to, to admit it. Well, that's where we're going to have to leave it because we're at the end of the show. But, folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Brant Hoffman. He's the pastor of Christ Lutheran Church and School in Coos Bay, Oregon. Pastor, thanks for being on the show again. Thank you again, and I again, I love this show. It's a wonderful opportunity for your listeners. Well, we're grateful for great pastors like you. Now, on Monday, we're going to dive right back into the book of Joshua, so be there for it for chapter 16 and 17. Now, these chapters are about how the territory and the promised land was divided. And as we've been talking about, that can seem like it's pretty dry, just lists of names and regions. But really, what's going on is we are seeing God's promises being fulfilled. And of course, the Israelites settling in Cana, following their exodus from Egypt. But all of that points forward to Jesus. We're going to talk about that and a lot more. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.